Okay, welcome Latinos in Clinical Research community. I'm Judy Galindo, one of the co-founders for Latinos in Clinical Research, along with Monica, Ashley, Cassandra, Dan, and Chris. And today we're going to speak with Shanna Berflot, who is a certified clinical research coordinator through ACRP. She has about 25 years of experience working in the healthcare industry and about 15 years in the clinical research industry, working on multi-therapeutic studies at multiple sites. And as with our monthly webinars, uh, we like to speak with um, different people in different roles in clinical research and kind of learn how they got there. Where did they start? Um, what educational background do they have? What experience did they receive on the way? And so I'm going to actually pass it on to Shana so she can tell us more about her background, where she started, where she's at, and some advice she can give to our community. Thank you very much. Um, so yes, I started out in healthcare at a neurology practice, just regular healthcare. Um, I loved healthcare. I stayed in it. I was working on my bachelor's. Well, actually, I started off working on my nursing and decided to transfer and worked on my bachelor's. Um, once I received my bachelor's, and I didn't do it all in four years. I spread it out while I was also working. Um, along the way, I've also um, been a medical assist, a certified medical assistant. Um, I have been a licensed x-ray tech. Um, I'm also an herbologist. <laughs> uh, what else? And even recently, I've received my Lean Green Six Sigma. So I also like learning. Um, along the way, I started managing sites that had a research component. And so I recognized it initially as an additional revenue stream as a practice administrator. Um, in healthcare, they're always decreasing everything and there is never increases. So you're always looking to supplement the practice. And then once I um, looked into it, I realized, oh, no, no, this is a whole different entity. Like this is what we need for medications. Like I love research. So um, when I started managing the neurology practice, I started asking, hey, so what do people have to do to be a coordinator? So kind of um, just even as the administrator became one of the coordinators for one of the studies, initially we needed an unblinded drug dispenser. We had several sites. So I kind of fell into it that way. Um, and then I studied and I made sure that anything anybody needed, I was learning how to do it. Um, even, even if it wasn't something I needed to do, I wanted to know how to do it. That way, when the time came up, came up that they needed something, it's like, oh, I know how to do that. Um, so it's always, <laughs> it's always making sure you're ready, you're available, you're willing to help out. Um, and again, at practices that have a research component, inevitably somebody quits last minute, they don't have somebody. So it's also a really nice idea to work at a research site or a healthcare practice that has research if you're trying to break in and can't figure out how because at some point they're needing extra help and it can, you know, make sure they know you're willing and available it's your um, I'm so also, sorry can uh whoever's not on can you please mute yourself thank you so much sorry Shana, go ahead um i've also assisted in recruitment um i've i've enjoyed i by by um i'm not normally a, a, a outgoing person, I'm very kind of shy and introverted. So recruitment kind of made me break outside of my box. And it also helped me to be training people. When I'm training someone how to recruit, I am like the most gregarious person ever. I'm surprised, no kidding. Uh, so, so I've also learned how to step outside of my comfort zone, get out there in the community, make sure they know who you are, and also utilize getting your name on anything at any point in time. I often hear you know, people say, um, we're, we're not getting any screens for that. I'm like, no, you don't think you are, but your name recognition is still working. So even if you don't think it's, if it's free, always, always, always use it. Um, speaking to the patients directly is also one of the best ways to recruit people. You can, um, that we're learning that currently because of COVID. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to get them to actually show up for the visit because it's mostly done by phone and they never had that, had that personal connection. Um, whereas the ones where we know they have an appointment, we're meeting them in the hospital and saying, hey, you've got an appointment with us next week. The, this is me. We look forward to seeing you. And then they're showing up at the appointment. Um, what else can I share? 
Um, yeah, let me ask you, what, what therapeutic areas did you work in? What did you start in? Did you switch into different areas? And I know you had mentioned they were, it seems like they were connected to like private practices. Um, so those physicians were very, um, they were already involved in research, it sounds like, correct? Yes. So the, I was with a medical group in North Carolina and I was managing several medical practices. So I had uh, two rheumatology offices, an infectious disease office, um, an endocrinology office that was looking to start some research. So we started their office and a research infusion center, uh, an infusion center that also did the infusions for research. Um, so that's where I, I was acclimated to the idea of research. So when I moved down here to Georgia, I was working with DeKalb Medical for a minute before I ran into the owner of NeuroStudies and I realized what they had going on over there and how exciting it would be to be part of growing a research division. So they had, we had in, so I, I joined and we were predominantly neurology. We were a stroke center um, in Gwinnett County and we were lead enrollers in a lot of the stroke studies for a number of years. We also had the outpatient department and they wanted to grow that. So we ended up growing the outpatient department over the next couple of years to the point where we let the medical practice go and we, came, we became a standalone research site. We also took on other indications. We did cardiology, um, cardiovascular, um, general health, some endocrinology, um, I think dermatology one. Um, and then I've also um, been part of some pain management studies. Um, and then most recently, I was at Emory University for a few months, but that was, I was more logistics. And now I'm over at Morehouse School of Medicine. And so now I'm getting the wonderful background and I'm also learning new things. It doesn't matter how long you're in this industry, <laughs> you're always learning new things. So I'm delving into the world of investigator initiatives. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty interesting background. I like how you have so much therapeutic background. That's, that's pretty impressive to be quite honest. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Judy or Monica, but have we had anybody that's had that much exposure? no that's actually a lot of experience I was gonna say and that's pretty cool that you've been exposed to all those different fields and areas because I think I would say some a lot of us like I've only been mostly in psych CNS so um I don't work for a large you know multi-specialty clinic and that would be really cool to be able to work on other therapeutic areas. so that's great you have that experience you can pretty much go anywhere actually <laughs> yeah she actually has experience in private and now mm -hmm. uh for education also Besides mm -hmm. having experience in in different therapeutic areas, she has the best of four worlds now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I was thinking that a lot of people out there, for example, there are people that has literally no experience and they're always thinking how to bring into the industry. Uh, and I think you have a very good uh, background or very good story about it. And then on top of that, people that are already in the industry that has a lot of experience, but they want to go to the next uh, level and don't know how to do it. You have this story too. <laughs> yeah. Or for doctors out there that have their own, pra uh, they have their own practice, I want to uh, diversify the business, uh, how to include the clinical trials uh, department or research department in their practice, that, that's another story that you can tell us. And, and also for people that want to open their own business. So you have basically, a full 360. <laughs> you can cover the whole, the whole spectrum. So, uh, um, I mean, if you want to uh, talk about that or those little topics, so people can, can understand more or learn more about uh, I mean, the, the uh, tips or 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 things that you did in order to experience all of that. So a good idea would be to discuss a private practice versus a university, and uh, like even thinking about it, I'm glad I did the private practice first, and I'm enjoying switching over to university now. Partly because as I get a little bit older, I'm less stroke energy, stroke team energy and more, okay, let me calm down a little bit. <laughs> um, and universities tend to have um, more timelines for more things that you have, more departments you have to go through, um, a, lot, a lot more coordinating. Um, plus we also do a lot of our research on the campus or at Grady. Um, so Grady Hospital has two universities working out of it. Emory works out of it and Morehouse works out of it. 
Um, so we work, uh, you know, side by side with Emory, but we're all using the same hospital. Um, but so we've, we've got that extra piece. Um, we've still inpatient, outpatient. I really enjoyed the private practice sector. Um, you have a little bit more leeway uh, to be creative in how you utilize your staff. Um, you can cross train a little bit more than in a larger, uh, larger organization. So for a new coordinator, um, I probably would go back to a private practice to learn because you can, you can be available for when there's another opportunity. You can, um, if you are creative and you watch other sites, you can figure out what are they doing and how, I can, how can I take that idea to our site and show them I'm willing to grow. Um, the pay is a little different sometimes. <laughs> um, and then, so, but then also the university setting has its benefits also. So depending on what kind of personality you are, you may like just having your little section. And so sometimes at a university section a setting, your the research is split up. So you have, you know, your phlebotomists that are helping, you have your coordinators. Um, some universities have it split up more than others. Luckily at Morehouse, I'm glad that our coordinators are getting a, a, you know, all the different pieces. Um, but you may have a recruitment team. Um, you, you may never have to do data entry because you have a whole department doing it. So, yes. Yeah, so that's, so then I guess to say that um, it would be a bit more busy and semi-challenging, obviously depending on the scenarios and the amount of studies and things like that, but a little bit more challenging if you're in a private private facility or private, um, uh, sorry, site as opposed to being at the university because it's sanctioned off in different departments and you're just doing what you're doing and that's pretty much it. Yes and no, you could still have your section and still be so busy you're, you look like this when you leave, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am curious, Shana, um, would you say given your background and your like diverse experience, uh, getting to the position you are now, um, would you say that the therapeutic aspect is what helped you the most? Or was it the fact that you had a lot of, you know, just overall training? Because you also, like you said, you also have the Six Sigma, which I personally like, uh, you know, that's awesome. I, I'm aspiring to get that. I know it's not easy, um, but you, know, you have Six Sigma, you have all this other training outside of just, you know, research. What was the most, uh, I guess, what held the most weight, you think, whenever you were going through the process of, you know, getting into that position? So as a study coordinator, being at the sites was really the best way. As an administrator or, you know, operations, having all the different, different types of studies was really nice. If you have at least more than, if you have more than at least one indication, I think that definitely makes your you look more rounded. Um, obviously, just because I did that many indications doesn't mean I'm a master at all of the different diseases. It means that you learn where your strengths are and what you're not good at. You find someone else to do it. You use your resources and that includes the rest of your team. So um, for instance, I worked at the Red Cross and I could stick anyone with a 14 gauge needle for years. And then for like 10 years, I didn't draw anybody's blood. So after that, I, looked, uh, you know, went in and I was like, well, I could stick you, but I could also go get someone who could do it first chance. I might. <laughs> so, so again, like, you know, I had every confidence in myself and I'm like, why, why, why put the patient through that? Um, so you, you just kind of, you, you figure out how to use other people. And if you are teach, if you're a teaching coordinator, that's where you go grab your juniors and you're like, all right, come on in here. Let's do this visit together. You do the EKG and the blood work. I'll go do this part. I'll go dispense medication. Okay. <laughs> and then you'll do data entry later. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yes, you, I set up the study, but then you put it together in such a way that you can hand it off and let someone else finish the study and do well. Awesome. And just to go back to clarify and maybe give us more details because maybe some on the call, what, it, what is that certification you mentioned, the Six Sigma certification? Can you talk more about that? Yes, so Six Sigma is, a, and I, if anybody else is more fluent in Six Sigma, I apologize <laughs> if I say anything incorrectly, but it's, um, it was an industrial type tool and it's now been spread to other industries um, to eliminate waste. 
So all these processes that we have, um, it's something as simple as checking in a patient. Um, you, you might be trying to figure out why it takes us 45 minutes. Well, so then you have, you go through the process and you identify all the steps and you figure out what you don't need and you just get rid of it. <laughs> um, then also, just because you fix a problem doesn't mean it doesn't, you don't revert back. So making sure you check in, you, you maintain the processes that you've implemented. Um, if you, it's really great if you're trying to figure out what's wrong with the study. Um, you can do a Six Sigma for the study, like lack of enrollment, or you can't figure out how to get your staff from here to there. Um, you can do a Six Sigma project. Um, you include the people who are involved. And really a lot of these tools we're already using and we just don't even realize it. Yeah. Um, so going through the certification process and now I, I have a few extra forms that I'm gonna use. I'm like, ooh, I think we're all good with kappas and fish diagrams. Um, yeah, I really like the Kugma. It's, it's, it's pretty much, I mean, if you have, you know, not necessarily OCD, but type A and you like process improvement, uh, you don't like to waste time. It, it's amazing and I like, I love that. So, um, yeah, I, if anybody's into that, I highly suggest it. And just like Chana said, it, it, you know, it spans into all industries. So if you're currently working in the clinical industry, it would work great there. And if you're pre preparing yourself to come into the research industry, I mean, even if it's not clinical, it can be any industry, but if you're coming into the research industry, it's also a really great, great way to, um, kind of, uh, sell yourself in, a, in, in, response to you being a really great monitor CRC or CRA because you almost everything in research is time right time efficiency and so um, you know yeah something for everybody to consider yeah so there, there is actually a program um, they started last year during COVID they're offering the white six sigma for mm -hmm. free. Um, so I definitely to go take part of that um, I will send you the link after this yes please thank you yes because uh Six Sigma is not, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it can be pricey. So that's amazing. So thank you. We will, everybody <laughs> will send out that uh, link. We will post it on our page. And so please go back to our, our website, our, our LinkedIn and view that. We'll be posting it today or if not tomorrow. And people do notice it on, I have noticed that people have asked me about it and I've been told before, like if they had two candidates and one and they were equally good and one has it, one doesn't, they're always going to go with the spleen. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's of course, because more documentation, more stuff behind you to show the strengths that you already have. Because if you just put down something like, a, you know, time management, process improvement, uh, great at SOPs. It's like, yes, you're, you're good at all that, but now you actually have something to solidify that. Right. And not only that, but you have processes that you've learned that you can also implement somewhere that probably don't have those processes implemented. So you're technically beneficial for the company. Right. So most definitely. Thank you so much. <laughs> and Shanna, going back to one of the positions that you had, I think, I know you mentioned about recruitment and I think I, I listened to one of the videos that, that you guys recorded back in April. I wasn't part of it. And you had mentioned that you were part of a uh, developing a recruitment department within one of the research centers or maybe various. Can you talk more about that? Yes. So as a standalone site, we now hundred percent relied on volunteers. So we happened to have a marketing person join us and this was actually before we let go to the medical medical practice so we had it set up already so when we let go to the medical practice we just continued on um, so this particular person didn't have a healthcare background at all they were actually marketing they were for NBC they're still at NBC um, so, they, <laughs> so they came in and um, helped we actually formulated a marketing activation plan and so using her knowledge and her framework, um, and she was with us for about two years and then um, went back to NBC. And we took that, that, that format and we grew it over the years and tweaked it based off of the studies you have, the, um, what indicate as we grew to other indications, um, the different demographics um, and different funding that you might have from the sponsors. So we, again, we just built on that over time. I watched other sites to see who's doing well and how many recruiters do they have? Because of course, as an administrator of someone who's watching the budget, like how many people do I really need just on the phones and not screening? Well, actually you thought, <laughs> no kidding, <laughs> them busy. So um, initially we started with one. 
uh, we did realize that no, more is better. Um, I, so Compass down in Florida before they sold, um, they, I believe had 10 recruiters. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, we have one? Okay. So um, I went back and I'm like all excited. I'm like, first off, they let me tour their facility. And so second <laughs> off, I go back and um, like, this is what they are doing and this is working well and we can use this and add it to what we're doing. Um, so we increased the number of people making phone calls. We out again, you can't be everything everywhere. So we outsourced our recruit part of our recruitment we used someone from re precision precision recruitment and she was also part of our team just remotely and she would do um like web portals so if you've got central campaigns you have to touch those daily if you get a lead and you let that lead sit there for two or more days if you don't touch it that day you're um you potentially will get less leads they will just stop sending you leads um, even if you're an inventor, if you just start touching your leads, they are not going to keep filling your leads. Um, so if I had a, the recruitment team was off in an event, if we weren't checking our portals, um, they had, and they eventually have to go on vacation. So we outsourced that to the person who was making phone calls. Um, also, we made sure all the portals were touched daily and she wasn't distracted by patients. We, if we ran a television ad or a large campaign that we did locally at our site, we had a dedicated number that went directly to her so that we can continue talking to patients during the day. Um, and then we would add onto their end of the team. So we would have one main person, then we would add a second person until the point where we knew we needed to hire internally. So we kind of balanced it out that way. Wow. Um, we had the same person so for years. So she knew us and she, I mean, she was just part of the team. Um, we also would establish, um, we spoke to other physicians who did really well enrolling in Alzheimer's, like they were doing better than us. And they were seeing less patients. We're like, all right, will you get on the phone with us? <laughs> and they did. And so he, he said he found a sweet spot. He does four presentations a month and he doesn't do them for over a group of five. And so like, oh, that's interesting because we've never capped the number of our audience. And actually, we thought more was better. But when he said that, it made sense because we would go to events and offer free memory screens. And we'd, you know, four or five, we'd ask for them to sign up and we'd determine how many people to send based on that. And um, sorry, I got distracted by the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so when we were doing memory screens, we have more people. I really got distracted. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So you were, you were saying that you, you would get, you know, you noticed that as your groups are smaller, you'd actually get more signups. That's yes. pretty, that's pretty interesting. That's really, really interesting. And it, I also find it super interesting that you, um, how many people you guys have working on recruitment. I don't think I've ever heard that kind of tactic before. Um, how would you say um, your recruitment, like on a basis, I mean, overall, but then also like your diverse groups, would you say that you're more than average, like from the average the amount that you, you bring in? So for the diversity, yes, but that was also because we were, tar we were specifically looking for underrepresented groups. Like we wanted diversity, um, like we're in Atlanta, we should have diversity, like that, we're here. Um, so... Uh, and then also, ooh, I'm so sorry. I'm easily distracted today. I'm so very sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we did find our sweet spot. We would have no more than four months so that we weren't spread too thin because now these recruitment people, when they weren't recruiting or making phone calls, now what do you have them do? So we cross-trained some of them to do assessments. So you've got these Alzheimer's studies You've got assessments by at least two blinded people. Um, Cross-train your recruiter people. And, and I, I have a question about that. So <laughs> when you guys were doing all this, these strategies or creating all these marketing strategies or this uh, and uh, hiring more people, did you got did you guys include this in the budget when you were negotiating this with the sponsor? So the recruitment they normally they don't necessarily always pay for the recruitment. And so I, I personally less focused on that. I've heard other sites have great luck with it and kudos to them. I've chose to focus on other things in my budget. Um, 
and I also always ask for standard first budget I get $10,000 recruitment. I rarely get 10 initially, they'll add some after you start, <laughs> but yeah. always ask 10. Um, and you had mentioned, right, that your recruitment were mainly volunteers? They were 100% volunteers because we let our medical practice go. Okay, so so when that happened, were these volunteers, did they reach out to y'all initially or y'all found them? So we had our, so we had been growing our database like every site. And so when that occurred, we had our team in place and we were confident that we would just keep going. So we already had our, our outreach department, our department. We were going and doing free memory screens for churches. They uh, love churches, um, especially for memory studies get into the um, senior groups. They really appreciate you going and you'll tell them, we'll tell you about research and we'll do free memory screens, but no pressure. Like if you don't want to do it, we'll still come for the free memory screens. <laughs> uh, you want to. And then everybody, once, you, once you're there, even if they don't want to sign up for the study, they want you to go to the other church or to this group. So you can, you're always getting your next lead from your event. So to keep, you, you just, you can always have your four a, a month during the summer, it's harder to not have more than four because you have all these events you can now go to, um, expos, not last year because of COVID, but um, so you have expos, you can do you know, finger stips for blood checks, cholesterol checks, um, feet checks, whatever your, your niche is for the public for, for your office. Um, we've even done Vibratron scans on feet before. <laughs> for <a bit> of- <laughs> That's interesting. Um, and so like something I, I, I'm personally curious and I like to ask this at times, um, how do you feel as a researcher and, you know, especially, you know, with your level and your level of skill set, um, how do you feel about, you know, um, diversity and what you feel your role is right now and how, you're, how you've been actively trying to be a part of that, um, I guess you could say change, but also just, you know, how you're making space for that within the research industry? So I have absolutely loved joining Morehouse School of Medicine. The back of my badge says, leading the creation and advancement of health equity. That's our entire goal, the entire campus. Our goal is health equity. Like I absolutely am humbled and honored to be part of that. Um, the medications that we put out, they need to be more diverse. And how do you do that? You enroll different populations that, that are being represented now. Um, that, and that's what we have to do. Um, the great thing is right now, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies are looking to increase their diversity, the, you know, inclusion and diversity departments. So they are reaching out to sites. So if, if you have a particular sponsor that you have worked with for a while um, and you have a good relationship and you wanna increase your diversity, reach out to them and say, hey, what, what's going on with your diversity and inclusion program? How can, how can you help us? How can we be, how can we be part of this? Genentech is one right now. They've got a big diversity and um, division that they're growing. Awesome. And I'm glad that you mentioned because I'm always telling people um, whether you're in research right now or whether you're going into research, you'll start noticing that, especially when you have your foot in the door, you know, okay, you're, you're there, you're great. And then you start realizing that, you know, you want to make sure that you're working with a company that, you know, fits your same values and morals and the things that actually, you know, you matter to you. Right. And so, um, you know, part of what I like to bring to LICR is just to continuously, you know, repeat that and just be aware of the companies that you're working with, be aware of what they're pushing out there. Cause you may be active with LICR, you may be active in your community and have, you know, all this uh, good intention, right? And you wanna make sure that it's continuously being spread, that it's a ripple effect. And so, yeah, I mean, um, that's really great. I'm so glad that you felt that uh, Morehouse is, you know, in line with you in your morals like that. That's amazing. And and I'm so happy to know that, you know, you're, you're a part of the change that's going on and that you're, you're promoting this diversity because, you know, there needs to be more organizations like that everywhere. Yeah, and me on a personal note, um, especially because we were Alzheimer's, like I was an APOE3 carrier, and with my background of being Japanese, that and a female, my risk just like, like I think 30 times greater. So like, that, you know, um, the other thing I love about Morehouse is we have a mobile unit. So right now our mobile units um, has been spending the last couple of weeks at the Mexican consulate. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> 
Awesome. Awesome. And so if there's, you know, um, if there's anybody, you know, here today or that would like to reach out to you in the future, you know, is, is, would it be okay if we shared, you know, your LinkedIn page so that they connect with you? Absolutely. So I love, like, even though I'm shy, I love talking about, (laughs) 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 we all have to enroll. Like there's plenty of patients. Like I want everyone to succeed. (laughs) Jenna, what's your background? Because I, I think you're very di- you have a very diverse background too. <laughs> ethnicity, ethnicity way. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, all right. It is 637, everybody. Um, I guess we'll open up the floor for any questions that anybody might have. Um, so feel free to shoot out any questions at this moment and dan i don't know if you had anything you wanted to say or no yeah thank you shanna that's very good i mean for those i sent the email blast out our previous interview for everybody who wants to see more about your background and what you're doing at morehouse um so check out the youtube channel guys i keep telling you and by the (laughs) way we're here to network as well so everybody uh, drop your LinkedIn profile in the chat so everybody can follow one another and feel free if you want to ask questions about anything to anybody uh, or to no one in particular, maybe somebody has an answer and uh, either chat in the chat box or feel free to speak, feel free to unmute and speak. Let yes, your voice uh, be heard. I just provided Jana's LinkedIn, yes. So feel free to go ahead and add her. And as you see, Judy's, um, and we'll go ahead and, and eventually you know share ours throughout. But if you have any questions for Shanna, or if you have any questions for any of the co-founders or any of the ambassadors that are here tonight, let us know. Um, if not, we can you know move forward, and I'll go ahead and start um, talking about the the next few things that we have planned. Anybody working on anything special, need help with anything or have any questions, uh, speak now or forever hold your peace because <laughs> Ashley's ready to talk about some stuff. Ready to go. Well, while, while, while we're waiting, I actually wanted to say thank you, Shanna, for sharing that information about recruitment yeah, because I yeah. think all those details and information you shared is very helpful, especially for like smaller sites because I think that's where kind of we're at at my research center. I have a full-time marketing person, but I think she needs help and I need to bring on more people. I have a few in-office recruiters. I think we need more help. So I'm kind of like trying to figure out like how am I going to grow this department and kind of what you had mentioned are things I had already heard it's just actually setting it up and getting it in place and getting the right people because you know you have to train them um, but thank you for sharing that because that's definitely uh, giving me some a lot of ideas of things I need to take back <laughs> yes awesome. and a general a generalist in every sense of of the word and mm-hmm. I mean your career is it's a very illustrative of that and just getting started too in your career and a lot of big yeah. things coming up with Morehouse too. Uh, Evie, yes. Evie, how's uh, it going? How's it going, <laughs> Evie? Long time no talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one of the questions I have is like the events that you were talking about. What kind of events do you have? I know like I get I guess the way to get people into the door is mainly as uh, getting them interested in like they getting the blood pressure or like you said, like checking to see that uh, podiatrist or something like that. Um, how how do you market that in the sense of like trying to, I mean, everybody's going to want to go and just check something just because it's, they're not being charged, right? Which is great. Uh, but how does the event, like how, how is that like even started to begin with? So, so the smaller events actually did better than the larger events. For instance, we had an Alive Expo, which was like 5,000 people a day. Um, but most of the people there were all into health and fitness and didn't want to take pharmaceuticals or be part of even medical device studies. So, and then we've also done like a Dogwood Festival and all these large festivals that you, you know, and the large ones don't. 
even like the Alzheimer's walks, like great to be part of it. But if you go in there for marketing, good luck. Um, okay. Had a lot more luck at the smaller event where either we would have assisted livings with clothes or a healthy weekend, and they'd invite the caregivers, family members, the community. So they would be doing their marketing as well as we would then do a, a Facebook um, invite. Um, our Facebook invites rarely had a lot of invites on it, but it was more for SEO, search engine optimization and just having them there. Um, plus it was something to send if we had a patient we're like, oh, we're also gonna be over so-and-so, you could just send them a link and or they could find it on Facebook. Um, sometimes we have groups doing events. And of course you don't need to market for that because you're just going straight for the group. Um, pharmacies will have grand openings sometimes. Uh, that's a bizarre one, but that's a good one to say, hey, do you need somebody at your grand opening? Um, they're usually very receptive. What else? A lot of, uh, are actually there was a, a senator or a representative or something down here who does an annual health fair. So any kind of health events, churches will occasionally do events. Um, we, sometimes the county will do an, a weekend festival. Those even the larger relatively relatively coming out and if you do um we had a spin the wheel at our table and spin the wheel. <laughs> awesome um and actually to add to that uh, i actually came from initially from a, a private um hybrid facility and one of the things we actually did was um uh, so that there wasn't necessarily competition because they had a lot of other private facilities that did research nearby. So they linked up with, you know, uh, a local dentist, a kid's dentist and some other, I think, physical therapy. And what they did, um, because theirs was more on vaccines, right? Vaccines and flu and stuff like that. So it's kind of like general population. Um, what they ended up doing is holding uh, a back to school festival for, so they gave stuff out to kids, but the parents would show up, right? And so that's how they would get the parents to show up. And, and they actually ended up having all these things for kids, some little play times and stuff. But during that time frame, they were able to, you know, do assessments to the parents, give some screenings, and that's how they were able to take them in, which I thought was interesting and completely forgot about that. And you just mentioned some of this event right now. So it's great. Awesome. Uh, any other questions, you guys? No? Okay. Well, I did want to mention, uh, if you want to go ahead and scroll up from the chat, you can see that our very own LICR chief networking officer, one of our ambassadors, Christine, really amazing. She is um, a powerhouse. She is always hosting these clubhouses. So please, if you are interested in this, reach out to her. Her LinkedIn is there. She provided it to you for you. Um, in these LinkedIn, in these clubhouses, we have, uh, I believe it's uh, Friday and Wednesday, if I'm not correct. Christine, if you could please provide the dates because um, I'm not as active as she is. <laughs> um, however, I will state that if you want to network, if you want to find individuals that are in research, I mean, there's people that are constantly being linked up for job positions, for, for assisting, for internal submissions, for your applications, Clubhouse is where it's at. This is where you have one-on-one -on -one with uh, really, you know, high-level recruiters, even PIs and site owners, right? So that would be, that would be great. Um, so Shana, we actually have a question here. Uh, how do you start a conversation with the PI to get more diverse population? So at Morehouse, I don't have to have a conversation at all. We all have the same goal. Um, when we were increasing our diversity at our site, I, I'm pretty blunt, pretty like say what you mean, mean what you say. So I just went to him and said, look, here are our current, here, are, here is our current representation of enrollments to different studies. We're in Atlanta and this is our black population and our Hispanic population and it's way too low. And he said, okay, and that's it. <laughs> um, you have other PIs that are a little bit more complicated um, that I think you really just going to need to gauge your PI, see what information they need to make them tick and go get it. Um, if they need facts, get facts. Um, what, you know, do, do they care which studies they're doing? So then, you know, approach it that way. Look, this particular disease set um, is there's higher rates in this underrepresented population. I think we should be focusing on that so that we can get them enrolled in the study. 
Um, some PIs, they just want to nod and say, that's fine. Others, you're going to have to justify it with facts and figures and a PowerPoint 30 pages long. Um, but it really, I think it's connecting with your PI and figuring out what's important to them and presenting it to that part of their spirit. Great advice. Thank you. I don't know, Judy, if you had, because I know that uh, Judy or Monica, if you guys have any of those experiences you want to add in on that? Um, no, I mean, I think obviously if you want to uh, recruit more diverse patients, having the resources you need to recruit those diverse patients, whether it's materials in that language, um, even if you don't have them, but you can get them created, look into doing that. Even just having like a basic flyer and that language is helpful. You don't need to do anything fancy. Um, just get it, you know, sponsor approved, IRB approved. Hopefully they would allow it if they don't provide you what you need, because sometimes they don't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it would just be um, the PIs. I mean, I guess it depends where you work, but sometimes you have to take um, a lot of information to the PI and present it to them. Um, they want to see facts. They want to see why. They want to see how you're going to do it, kind of like a plan. So if you, you know, kind of put something together and then present it that way, then you're more willing to get them on board to be able to recruit more diverse patients. It just depends, you know on the type of PI you work with, I don't know. And I'm saying this because I think about, you know, my past PI that I worked with many years ago, that's probably something I would have had to do back then. <laughs> uh, it's a lot different now, it's a lot easier with the PI right now. Uh, but that's my recommendation. We have, uh, um, we'll get to Daniel's question, but we have a hand raised. Ivan, how's it going? Ivan, uh, feel Very free good. to ask your question. How, how's everything? Excellent. I can't complain. I had a great day today. So, but my, I'll just go right into the question because I'm sure there's other people who will have questions. Uh, I'm just wondering if there was any success in and around themed lunch and learns. When you have a lunch and learn, you usually um, use like a boardroom or something. It's very intimate because typically you get about, you know, 10 to 15 people. You theme it so it's fun, right? And you can brainstorm about various themes. I just wonder if that might not be a more, uh, and you can target your populations. You can do these lunch and learns that say uh, retirement homes that seem to be uh, part of the conversation. Uh, and it might be more, um, how can I say, um, you might get more recruitment simply because you're more targeted in terms, like it's great to be part of the community and being like community facing. You wanna shake hands and kiss babies as it were. But I wonder if, if if your goal is really recruitment, that it should be maybe maybe you've got experience and it went bad. Like I don't know. I'm just asking. So, with my experience with lunch and learns, and we did them a lot of times in assisted living facilities or with the uh, the community the um, senior communities, um, we would keep. We started running into issues with keeping a a sign-in sheet. We needed the sign-in sheet to provide so that we could give back because we were paying for it because of the budget and they didn't want to have patients sign it. So we ended up kind of veering off of that for us, for our clientele um, a couple years ago. Before that, we did we did do it and we enjoyed it. We did it. It wasn't a huge enroller for us, but even if we were going to the event without the food, that site wouldn't have been a huge, like we're, we were going to get the two or three people interested. So I don't know that that increased it, but they sure did like us. Currently, I like to add the lunch and learns to our budget when I can, because we're working inside of Grady. And for instance, I've got a GI doctor who is, she's, we've got our own coordinator that's over there with her. However, she might tell, she'll leave the endo suite and say, hey, if you have XYZ over here, please let us know. Um, they are going out of their way to make sure they're notifying her. So we'll build in a lunch and learn budget to her budget so that we can train the staff at the beginning of a study because we now know they're going to help and so we feed them. They're going to help either way, but we're feeding them. <laughs> awesome. We got shout out to Daniel Perez, macro trials. Uh, he's actually like, uh, he does a lot on LinkedIn and I got a chance to meet with him 
uh, two years ago. So he ha- actually it's not a question, it's a comment, mm. but maybe it'd be good, Shannon, to get your thoughts on this or anybody, Judy, Judy, Monica, anybody listening. If you're a small site privately owned, you make the business case that sponsors will be selecting for sites with proven track record of enrolling diverse populations. Strategic positioning now means you are thinking ahead for future success in terms of neutral acquisition. So yeah, it's about being proactive. I mean, this is the way it's going to be the next decade. This is just mm-hmm. the beginning. Some of our feasibilities actually ask for the breakdown, but when they don't, and you're trying to put it in there anyways, if you yeah. know what you're is. Yeah, I agree. And I think exactly what you mentioned, the last ones I've completed, there's like a whole section about diversity now, a whole recruitment. What are we going to do to recruit more diverse patients, which I never used to see before, but I have recently. It's like, can't you just take the yes? No, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I forgot to mention this when you were talking about, and I know the interview basically is almost finished, <laughs> but I, I wanted you to, to talk a little bit about uh, transitioning from a, a, a practice that was uh, the private practice plus the research and, and uh, why they went towards research only. That was one of the best decisions we made. <laughs> so um, medical practice, they're great. We need them. That's how we see patients. However, when given the option to not have it, I was found myself in that point in life where I'm like, we, if we could just 100% do research and the PI, like he, he was one of the doctors. And then at one point he was like, I don't want to see patients every day. I'll see them one day a week. And then we'd schedule me like, why, why am I booked more than half a day? And then after a while, he's like, why do I have patience? <laughs> so we transitioned to be just research before we let go of the medical practice. And so I just caught up with them. And um, uh, the medical, the, the two medical guys, they, they wanted the practice. So we just segued away. And the amount of stress that just fell off my, or flew off my shoulders, I guess it didn't fall, was so amazing. I wasn't having to watch reimbursements, quarterly Medicare rates, like all of that extra part was just gone. And I could now just 100% be researched. And it was so much more fun. <laughs> and obviously, it, it should have been a very, fin- I mean, financially very uh, stable or showing a lot of good results in order for a doctor to give up their own practice and transferring to just research. Because a lot of people have, uh, I mean, they don't understand that part. And I think uh, the, the uh, medical practices have such a great an opportunity to build up the research department and make it an, uh, um, part of their financial gains. <laughs> Obviously, it's, 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 it's great to have the research for the good cause, but also if we think about business, that's a great addition to the business. We got a, looks like a final question. This one, I respect, respect Manali. Like no nonsense, just straight to the point. What method, according to you, is best way to get diverse population? I don't blame for asking it. And, and thank you, Manali, for sharing on social media, everything, all the time on LinkedIn, yes, YouTube. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. We see you guys. We see y'all. Thank you so much. Um, so my response is going to be going to where your population is. It's always one-on-one, getting it, being right there. That's always the best way to do it. Find some events. Um, how about everybody else? What else? What is everybody else's sweet spot? Uh, research naive physicians, getting them excited about research in those communities. I think it's similar to what you're saying. Yeah, you have, you have to kind of know the community you're working in. Where are those diverse patients located? And is there um, a larger amount of a certain type of diverse patients in your community? Then, you know, reach out to those, you know, whether it's community organizations, doctors, whatever, but you have to know your community first to find out where you need to go recruit. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to mention the financial part of the business <laughs> when uh, adding ad research because a lot of doctors don't know that, uh, I mean, they don't have interest in research because they don't really know what is research about or because they think it's gonna take a lot of their time and probably it's not gonna be as, uh, uh, as interesting uh, financially wise. And, and, and I think it's quite the opposite. Uh, and on top of that, they are offering more to, the, to their uh, own patients and an uh, extra opportunity and 
and contributing to research. So uh, bringing more doctors is, is one of the best I think one of the best strategies to improve, uh, to, inc to uh, increase diversity. We got another hand raised. Ivan, um, uh, feel free to unmute. Yeah, I just had a question. In order to reach these diverse populations, do you feel that a mobile unit is required? And I would imagine like I, my two cents on the whole reaching out would be, you know, it's not enough just to translate the message. I think that you really have to gear the message to the community. Just, you can't assume that English is going to transfer in the same way to a particular, like if you just translate it, like you do Google Translate, I'm being lazy about it uh, in terms of the concept, concept about translation. Uh, but I think that you really have to target your messaging or at least there has to be a big idea, not just here's the same information translated. Anyways, but my question being, do you think a mobile unit is required? I don't think it's required. I think it's just a really, really nice perk that we have. Um, and we, we, do, we do know what our population demographic is and we make sure we approach the event accordingly. We have an, a mobile team and they are, they, that, that is their bus. Um, and they've been working with the population for, I think we've had the best five or six years. And they do, they wear, they don't even wear scrubs. They are down in regular folk clothes, they call them. They're out there in the community. Um, they're, they've got their badges on, but they're, they're, they're blending in with everybody else. And they're just, they're talking with everybody else. They're not coming in all health care-y, like they're no, they're coming in as a member of the community, talking to them. Um, you know, we've got a lot of people still concerned about Henrietta Lacks dispelling that, going over to Skigi, you know, all of that stuff, discussing it with them openly, having an open dialogue. And again, like coordinators on that bus, they know what they're doing. I would have a different response if I went out, so. Awesome, thank you guys. I, I, I would like to add also that, uh, obviously that uh, mobile <laughs> unit will be amazing. And, and, and if, the, if the team inside is also diverse, that increases more possibilities because then people are going to be, are going to be talking with somebody that looks like them and understand many uh, things behind the, their culture, the ethnicity or the community that they're coming from. That's a good point. So there's a documentary they just put out called Black Men in White Coats. They're talking about how only 2% of the medical graduates are black men and how are like, even how are these young black kids supposed to grow up and say, Oh, I want to be a doctor when they don't see it. So like, I loved that documentary. If you guys get a chance to see it, please watch it. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank yeah. You. I, I think, I think bringing, obviously that's part of our mission to bring more workforce, more diverse workforce to increase diversity. And, and obviously that will also help insights. Uh, bringing a, a, a diverse group of, uh, of members working in the site is going to increase uh, organically mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the patient population. And, and also imagine you will have uh, more people talking in different languages. So it's, it's yes. going to make it more diverse. Yes, I agree. <laughs> awesome. Well, right on the dot, you guys, 659 Central